0: Fasten your seatbelts, dudes and darlings, because we're about to feed your brain with info on a profession that you're likely not too familiar with at this point. We have an exceptional educator with us today, and not just any, oh, exceptional educator. No, today we have an orientation and mobility specialist. Now, have you ever wondered how blind and visually impaired people learn to navigate on their own and travel independently? Well... Glad you asked, because Orientation and Mobility Specialists are gifted, talented teachers who assist low vision clients in doing just that. So we have a specialist from Nortonville today in Hopkins County, Miss Katrina Berry, will be here to detail her experience not only as an Orientation Mobility Instructor, but also as a teacher of the visually impaired before she developed a specialty in mobility so she will enlighten us on some tips and tricks for how to obtain those services if you or someone you know is in need and also advice for those of you who might happen to be interested in the field so it's gonna be a fun one but aren't they all so get ready because here comes blabbing in the bluegrass episode 13 of season 3 hit it EJ Simmons with a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Rumsey to Rockfield, Rochester to Radcliffe, absolutely nobody covers the Commonwealth quite like we do here on Blabbit in the Bluegrass as we religiously and thoughtfully explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. From our gorgeous accommodations here at the comfy cozy North Quell Motel, In Henderson, KY, I'm Sam Moore, so proud to be spotlighting one of my former instructors on the show today. Her name is Mrs. Katrina Berry, who is an orientation mobility specialist from the mighty Nortonville, Kentucky, which is Hopkins County, just outside of Madisonville. Now, before we dive on into my chat with Katrina, I want to make you aware of some abbreviations that we use periodically that will ideally make this interview uh, more enjoyable and make it make a little more sense to you. So, O&M, as you might expect, that stands for Orientation and Mobility. Okay, VI, VI is an abbreviation for visually impaired, and also KSB, which we refer to at least once, maybe twice that I recall in our conversation. KSB is an abbreviation for Kentucky School for the Blind. Now, I did not attend KSB full-time, Uh, when I was growing up however I did attend short courses at various points in time for a few weeks throughout my K-12 years where I focused on special skills so we do mention KSB on uh, at least a few occasions like I said as we go along here so hopefully knowing this information you'll be able to uh, get a lot more out of this interview I know that you will find Katrina Berry to be quite delightful. She has uh, an impressive background to say the least, and she's sure a pleasure to talk to. Like I said, before she became an orientation and mobility specialist, she worked with Visually Impaired on other critical skills. So she'll speak to us uh, based on her wealth of experience there, and trust me, it's well worth hanging around for this hour plus, and uh, you're going to... Learn and have fun learning, I promise you that. And before we go any further, let me remind you that I'm here for you via email at any time you can. Hit me up with questions, comments, suggestions for possible directions for the program. It's bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S, B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. I'm also here for you via the Blabbin and the Bluegrass Facebook page, which I strongly strongly encourage you to like and follow because all of my previous shows are there you can uh, catch up on those you might have missed listen to those that uh, you may just want to hear again perhaps to <laughs> take you in certain information maybe phone numbers or websites that you might have missed so they're all there for you you can also stay up to date with additional information teasers on future shows that i post on a weekly basis those are there for you as well make comments leave messages stay in touch with me via that avenue as well. Plus, I do want you to listen and subscribe to Blabbit in the Bluegrass without one thin dime via Apple, Google Podcasts, and or Spotify. These three podcast directories are easy, they're accessible, they're at your fingertips, and they've all got Blabbit in the Bluegrass ready and waiting for you. So please, please take advantage of those. Now, next order of business is revealing our weekly, at least we strive for it to be weekly, Bluegrass Brain Buster. Now, what we'll do, I will reveal the uh, question now. We will have the answer for you at the conclusion of today's program. It's no secret that Louisville is the state's largest city. And Lexington is... uh, not exactly a close second. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's close, but not as close as you might think, as I recently learned. So, but I want to know, what is the state's smallest community? What is the smallest community in the Commonwealth of Kentucky? Again, it's no secret, Louisville is our largest city. I want to know, what is the smallest community in the Commonwealth of Kentucky? I have a feeling a number of you are going to need some assistance on this one, but fear not. Enjoy my visit with Katrina, and I will have the answer for you at the conclusion of today's program. Blatton in the Bluegrass proudly presents an exceptional educator. Well, today we're privileged to have an orientation and mobility instructor with us, and if you're not familiar with those, that's why we're here. These people... uh, Graciously educates blind and visually impaired personnel and navigating independently through uh, schools and communities, anywhere they would need to go and travel, basically. And here with me today is one that worked with me while I was at grad school at Western Kentucky University on learning my routes to different buildings and classes and what have you. She's been uh, doing OM for a number of years. She's semi retired now, but uh, She's well-rounded. She dabbled in a bunch of other things before then. So let's find out about this lovely lady coming to us direct from Nortonville, Kentucky. It's none other than Miss Katrina Berry. Good
1: morning, Sam, or good evening, whenever you publish this, uh, whatever <laughs> it will be appropriate.
0: It'll be in the good evening, day. but don't tell her when people will be listening. So we're we're so glad that you're here to join us, and you took time out of your busy uh semi-retired schedule you told me your husband was out on the golf cart, and um uh, y- yep. you probably got a little bucket list after you get done with me too so <laughs>
1: well, I have a bucket of pears sitting and waiting on me oh um, do you know yeah yep. oh so goodness well <laughs> I've made grape jelly this week crab apple jelly and the pears are next
0: Oh, so, look, actually, well, I'm going to give out your phone number after we get done so listeners can come grab something. No, I'm kidding. Uh,
1: well, I make a lot because I do give away quite a bit.
0: So. <laughs> you do give away a lot. Well, that's, that's encouraging for those that might want it. Now, uh, as we uh, mentioned, you are uh, a somewhat retired orientation and mobility specialist, but this hasn't always been... Your profession, Katrina, so why don't you give us an overview of your background prior to teaching mobility?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I started college to be a nurse.: and Yeah, you
0: went to Marshall, didn't you?
1: uh well, no, well, I did go to Marshall, but undergraduate I went to University of
0: Louisville. Oh uh, U:
1: Campbellsville College, that's Campbellsville University now, and then I transferred to U of L, where most of my friends were) um, but I had a professor that wrote on the, I'm telling the age blackboard with one hand and <laughs> race with the other, and so the nursing career didn't last long for me. <laughs> uh, so I switched over to I was going to be a teacher, and then I took a course uh, for the visually impaired, which was offered at University of Louisville as an elective. Oh. Uh, uh-huh. And then I took another course as an elective, and then I, you know. I just kept going. So I ended up when I graduated, I was an elementary teacher with a certification in visual impairments. And that is all I have ever taught. I've never been a classroom teacher. Uh, After graduation, I went to, uh, took a job in Southern West Virginia, the most southernmost County in West Virginia, very rural, very mountainous. uh, When you see the videos of Appalachia, and all that, that's where I was.
0: Pretty close um, to Ashland then, I guess.
1: Uh, not too far, not, not too, too far, far as the crow flies. But <laughs> as, uh, um, as anyone that's ever traveled in West Virginia, around here, uh, 30 minutes is 30 miles. No, right. 30 miles. There, uh, from where I live to Bluefield, the next town of any size, about the size of Henderson, was 34 miles and it took at least an hour and 10 minutes to get there
0: because it was so mountainous
1: (laughs) because of the mountainous roads two lane roads you would always get behind mom paul kettle going to town you know just putting along the you know 20 miles an hour uh i worked in west virginia for almost 12 years as an itinerant teacher of the visually impaired uh it was a big county i spent a lot of time on those roads i was very fortunate I never got stranded. I never was in a bad wreck or anything like that. A lot of coal trucks back in those days. We're talking the mid-80s. Got my master's degree through Marshall University. My first master's. There we go. uh, In early childhood, because that was what was offered. I couldn't get uh, another degree in my field. Uh, Right. Not without packing up, leaving home and all of that stuff, which I wasn't willing to do. Stayed in West Virginia until 1995, we moved back here to Kentucky, which was home for me after my father had passed away. I moved back home to be close to mom and help her. Gotcha. Um, And I had been, I took a job with the Western Kentucky Co-op, which farmed me out, I guess would be a good way of putting it, to counties that needed a teacher of the visually impaired. We are a field. There's not a lot of us.
0: No, this is true.
1: (laughs) Not a lot of us around there. You were fortunate. You were in Henderson County um, with Kathy and Grant. Kathy Grant,
0: yes, indeed. And then Gwen Hatfield was my program assistant. So, Yeah. yeah.
1: You had a little different setup than most of us. Most of the VI kids in our area just have an itinerant teacher. And she was itinerant, but just in Henderson County. Uh, I covered, when I retired, I covered nine districts every week. See, so you were, you were burning up the road, weren't you? Oh, yes. I was go, close to 750 miles a week, just going from one district to the next.
0: Uh, and oh, of goodness. course, some,
1: weeks, some days I covered two or three districts in a day. And the reason I, re- I took early retirement and the main reason for that, as I was doing a teacher of the visually impaired, by that time, I was also an orientation mobility specialist. I went back and got the next master's. Um, after my husband passed away, suddenly I wanted to make myself more marketable with uh, two teenage girls to raise. Oh,
0: sure. And I, Sonny
1: and Stevie. I certainly Yes, yeah, Sonny and Stevie. Um, <laughs> I certainly made myself more marketable because even being retired, I stay busy. Um but I had both degrees. I was doing both jobs, the, the VI half and the O&M, which they're related, but they're different fields. And So you were uh, pulling double
0: duty for a while.
1: I was. I was. And, of course, not getting any extra pay for it. And so <laughs> I, I told my boss, I'm like, you know, we've got to look at this. I don't feel I'm doing my students' service because I'm just running in, slapping Band-Aids on amputations and having to run back out again. And it's not doing my students a service, it's certainly not doing me a service. And um, they really weren't interested in, you know, to them on the uh, legal side of it, they were covering the service for these students. So uh, I don't think they felt the urgency that I did. And so I retired, Um, Um, took early retirement and went to work for myself as only an orientation mobility specialist. I did take one county on as their VI teacher. Um, and as I lose students in that county uh, and, you know, when there are no more there, I won't take on any more BI. I like the vision impairment part, but but the trouble with being a teacher visually impaired is you have to look at everything. Right. Um, you have to look at their math scores and the reading and you have to, it's just such a, you know, their social skills, their, um, uh, what do you call it? Their living, what it? Oh, daily living concept? skills. Their daily living skills. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> you have to cover everything, but with orientation mobility, you're looking at that one slice of can they move from point A to point B safely and efficiently. And so um, I love that. Once I got that degree, uh, let's see, when did I get certified in 2008? I believe I got my ACV oh, nice. certification. So okay. I've been doing this a
0: Oh, you, you uh, have indeed. And the, the county that you uh, are doing VI in is Muhlenberg, right?
1: Well, no, I don't. I'm in Webster County is the VI county. Muhlenberg has a teacher visually impaired.
0: Okay, so, so you're in Webster County now.
1: I'm in Webster County just like once a week. I'm assuming that will continue. One of my students graduated last year. Uh, oh, and gotcha. I don't think things are, of course, still up in the air with COVID. Today, I think, is their like, first day. Of school, a lot of the districts are starting later than they ever have. Um, right. Um, yeah, I not know. not running with the school systems yet, so.
0: Yeah, I know. In a few districts, they've even, you know, called off school for a few days even after they started because cases are so high. But yeah. yes. But I uh, anyway, so so you went back to UVL, got your master's in O and yes. So I guess you spent uh, another two years up there.
1: I did. It was a um, kind of a distance learning is what they called it then, but different than what we think of as distance learning now. In the uh, fall and spring semesters, I took online classes about, uh, you know, theory and uh, the background, the history of orientation mobility in the United States, things like that. And then in the summers, I went up there and lived on campus at Kentucky School for the Blind. And we did hands-on learning. We were under blindfold. Uh, learning, you know, basic paint skills, crossing streets. Uh, my professor <laughs> told me, he, uh, quite bluntly, he said, you don't have sense enough to be scared, because I would just take off and do, <laughs> you know, what needed to be done. Uh, but we, <laughs> you wouldn't worry about a thing, would you? I wasn't worried about a thing. Uh, but it is, you know, but he watched us very closely. We always had partners with us that were not under blindfold, keeping an eye on us.
0: Uh, you stayed and the I... dorm too, Correct.
1: Yes, we stayed in the dorms, which is certainly an experience. Um, And, uh, you know, being under blindfold was quite eye-opening because always being a teacher of the visually impaired, you try to envision your students' struggles, you know. Yeah,
0: put yourself in their shoes. (laughs)
1: Right, right. And being under the blindfold for six weeks at a time, I mean, you know, during our training at night. Uh, was quite up because you'd be standing on a street corner and listening, you know, for that traffic. And, you know, is it safe to step out? Is it safe? And second guessing yourself.
0: And right. it really
1: made, gave me much more empathy for when I, you know, standing there, you know, tapping my toe, waiting for a student to do something. Well, they've got so much more to process. Right. And I, do, you know, and so yes, much more to indeed. go through before they do that task, before they feel confident in taking that next step. And so if nothing else, that training made me much more uh, empathetic to just being patient and waiting.
0: Yeah, another thing people might find interesting, uh, you know, a lot of those Louisville streets, especially around KSB, they, at least uh, when I took short courses there from time to time, they, uh, the stoplights had little, little cuckoos on them, you know, cuckoo, cuckoo, oh. whatever when <laughs> well, the light turned green. Hey, do, do you know, I was going to say, do you know if those yes. are still there? Um,
1: Yes, they are. Uh, I haven't been up there in a while. Of course, everything has been shut down for a long time. And uh, but the last time I was up there, probably two or three years ago, uh, the stoplights still talked to you. They had those chirping sounds, and then it would say cross side Frankfurt Avenue. You know, oh, so you yeah, know, yeah, that's
0: it's true. That's
1: in which to go. Yeah, which I always found uh, interesting, But
0: uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: We don't have those in rural Western Kentucky, so
0: <laughs> no, they haven't made it to Henderson yet either. But uh,
1: no,
0: maybe but they need Katrina Barry's voice on a stoplight. But that, maybe that's we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll get there at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, now, what aspects of your career in mobility instruction have you found most enjoyable and fulfilling?
1: Oh my goodness. I guess that would kind of vary a little bit depending on what age level I'm working with. Right. Uh, with little ones, that moment I put a cane in their hand and they realize they can walk around without bumping into things.
0: Yeah, or without holding uh, mommy or daddy's hand.
1: Yes, yes, without being led around. Um, that, that first time they cross the street by themselves and they're like, oh, yeah, I can do this. You know, I don't have to hang on to somebody constantly. With older people, I also work for other agencies that I work with adults. And sometimes it's just an 80-year-old that wants to go out and check her own mail at the mailbox. Uh, And that's as far as we get in orientation mobility training, but that's appropriate for their life. See, that's
0: that's something that a lot of us take for granted.
1: I stay on the porch and they walk out and go to make it to their mailbox and make it back without any help or without asking someone to do it for them um, that that's you know giving people back uh, that small measure of independence that they've lost and i'm talking about adults who've lost their vision later in life uh, right. a lot of them tend to just well i'll just sit home in my recliner and nothing will hurt me kind of thing and that's yeah. not a lot to live you know um, so giving them back some measure of independence is very important to me Uh, and so you know and for little ones giving them that sense of well I can do this like everybody else can.
0: You know I'm so disheartened because I thought for sure you'd say the most fulfilling part of your O&M was working with me at Western. (laughs) 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 Only kidding.
1: I love to work with clients that um, ask questions and push a little bit you know well I've got this. Now let's do this. You know, let's move on because a lot of times I'm dragging my clients around behind me. Well, let's do one street crossing. You know, let's do. Uh, so I am always thrilled to get clients like you, Sam, that uh, want to learn more and want to do more. And the ambitious
0: ones are always, you know, a lot easier, I'm sure, than the ones that lack like motivation.
1: I, <laughs> it, it's just disheartening my heart hurts for them because I know they can do so much. And that's one of the myths that uh, I wanted to throw in there. So many people think like getting a dog guide or using a cane that you have to be totally blind. And that's not, you know, what are you using a cane for? I know you can see, no, you know, maybe you can see up here but you can't see where your feet are. Then you need to use cane skills. Uh, you know, you're tripping over those curves for a reason. You can't see them. So even though you might be able to see, it, you know, from your chin up, then um, you know, staring at the ground all the time is not a way to travel because no. then you miss things that are at head height. So uh, <laughs> you do not have to be totally blind to use uh, mobility devices such as a dog or a cane. Um,
0: yeah, but even water. if you're just visually impaired, you can still Yes, it'll benefit from some
1: ability skills, yes.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Now, on a funny side note, one of my fondest memories of working with Katrina, a lot of times um, her husband, Norman, would travel with her, especially when when he was off or it was on a weekend. Sometimes Katrina and I would would work on Saturdays at Western. I remember one time we were out um, walking around and learning my routes to classes, and uh, Norman was waiting on the couch in the lobby of my dorm. And, uh, he was no fool. He was relaxing while we were out, <laughs> while we were out walking around. And anyhow, uh, we're, we're out doing our thing. And all of a sudden Katrina gets this text from Norman that says, I just ran off with a girl in short
1: shorts. <laughs> that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm not so sure I believe that, sir. Uh, <laughs> but he he is so patient. He still travels with me occasionally, not too often. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember that now. Yes, you never right. know with him. He's
0: you never coming. know. <laughs> he always kept the lessons lively, whether he was actually walking with us or not.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. We we love you, Norman. Now for those. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with uh, the concept of orientation and mobility, we, we've talked about a few of these here um, off and on already, but give us sort of a snapshot of the different types of O&M training available for those with visual impairments.
1: Okay. Well, I always start out when I first meet a client or my students that, um, that there are two purposes for a cane, a mobility cane. Uh, one, of course, the obvious is to preview your walking surface, uh, to um, warn you of drop-offs and, you know, the dog laying in the middle of the floor, just whatever might be an obstacle for you that you need to get around. Uh, the second purpose for a cane is to identify you as being visually impaired. Uh, for adults, that's the tough one. Uh, for adults that have had vision muster of their life, Um, they don't want to be identified as visually impaired. They feel vulnerable. And I get that. And I try to be very sympathetic, that feeling. Sure. um, That, uh, and especially, you know, some people don't live in exactly safe neighborhoods. And so they don't feel safe. Uh, They think it makes them look like a victim. And so we have to balance that out. You know, the uh, danger of falling and hurting yourself to you know the danger of being vulnerable in the area that you live in. Uh, and so that comes up occasionally, but those are the two purposes of a cane. The purpose of orientation and mobility, uh, I think i said before, is to move safely and efficiently from point A to point B. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I'm on this street and at the uh, dollar store and I wanna cross the road and go to the convenience store.
0: Yeah. From here to there. So I get there.
1: From here to there and getting there safely, you know, you, don't, you have to go to the intersection to cross um, where the crosswalks are. Is this a safe intersection to cross? I mean, there are intersections that I take students and clients to and say, we just don't cross here. There's no safe way to get across this intersection.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's just not ideal for a, a visually impaired person.
1: Right. Uh, there is a place at Murray State University, five points, five something. And it's an intersection. It has like five streets coming into it. And it's always crazy. Oh, mercy. Uh, there are no sidewalks. Like one corner of the intersection has sidewalks. None of the rest of them do. Uh, you know, and I just take students there. I said, so we can go from this corner to that corner. But that's it. We don't go anywhere else, you know, because it's just there's no safe. way. Well, I wouldn't cross it.
0: Yeah, uh, as a sighted uh, person, if you wouldn't cross it, that's that's pretty uh, telling. Not,
1: uh, and so that happens sometimes. We just don't do this. But part of orientation and mobility is making those calls, making those decisions and knowing, you know, how do I gather this information? Uh, technology now has helped tremendously. You know, uh, if you have some residual vision, you can call up Google Maps uh, and take a look before you go somewhere. And sure. say, okay, what's here? Um, You know, you can use those satellite maps, the bird's eye view, the street level view, um, and look ahead before you get there as to what's going on. Um, There are other areas of orientation mobility also, you know, I can get to McDonald's, but how do I go in and order my meal? Sure. You know, I I can find the door, but how do I find the counter? And a lot of that is auditory skills.
0: Um, Absolutely. Absolutely
1: how to ask for assistance Uh, yeah there's nothing wrong with saying I need some assistance could you help me please or going you know to the counter and saying I can't read the menu Uh, and I knew that I mean there's nothing really wrong with my vision but like those lighted menu boards they have up there are very few of those that I can read beyond the huge headlines I can see that it's a cheeseburger but what if they put on it I can't read the items below that
0: yeah, and so, sometimes those menu boards are hidden behind the counter, too.
1: They're hidden behind the counter. Uh, the lighting on them is just horrific. Um, they need to start hiring uh, teachers of the visually impaired to help them design those. <laughs> 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 because, not every, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have a visual impairment to have difficulty. No. Uh, especially with lighting. in uh, these restaurants, if they want to, you know, the ambiance, I know is what that is. You know, turning the lights down so low that you can't read your menu. Uh, things like that are kind of pet peeves of mine but um <laughs> there are a lot of aspects of orientation and mobility
0: another form of OM training that people might find interesting and again uh, this is uh, a little limited in rural western kentucky but there's also the uh, the bus travel components and i know in the cities that are decent enough and that have a bus system uh, a yes, lot of also bus travel yes uh bus travel train travel mean
1: whatever have available in your area uh, uber lyft i know there are uh, cab systems all of those uh, need to be covered and yes in rural kentucky uh it's a little difficult because i know um, paducah has a public transit system but it's kind of on again off again murray state uh implemented one i'm assuming is still there I, I don't know uh madisonville has a public transit system now
0: I'll do they uh, now? Because last time I talked to you, you said
1: they didn't. They do now. It's just been in place maybe a couple of years, if that long. Um, they started it, I think, right before the COVID shutdown. Uh, not long before that. I haven't written them. Uh, I haven't had a client that has uh, asked Needed to it. use them or to use And I'm kind of like, you know, I tend to wait because I may never have a client that asked you know, well, I need to use the Madisonville Public Transit. Um, so, you know, when I do, I, then I'll get over there and learn more about it and about the routes. I know it's online. Uh, yeah. I know Henderson has one.
0: Yeah, um, Henderson has hearts. Henderson Area Rapid Transit.
1: Uh, you know, Bowling Green. But most of our towns do not have public transit. Uh, I know there are uh, like packs where you can call if you have a disability and need help getting to. Um, you know, doctor's appointments and things like that. And veterans have their system. Uh, but as far as just getting to the grocery store, getting to a friend's house, uh, you know, getting across town, it can be very difficult.
0: What age does all typically start these days?
1: Um, in my opinion, a child with a, a visual impairment that um, when they start walking, when they start moving, you know, okay. they need a pay. So,
0: around
1: uh, age two or so. Students, yes. Um, a lot of times people want to wait. I'm like, wait for what? You know, if they need to know how to move safely when they're whether they're two or three years old or whether they're 12 or 13 years old. Um, and so, of course, they needed an evaluation because sometimes I will say, because of other factors, well, yes, you know, we need to uh, get some other skills in place first before we get to cane skills. And there are canes that aren't the long sticks that you typically see. Uh, We use called adaptive mobility devices uh, made out of PVC pipe most often. Um, And they're like long rectangles that a child would push in front of them. I've also recommended uh, you know, the little uh, shopping carts that you use with little toddlers. Uh, Any of those toys, the little lawn mowers, that children push in front of them, the pop, you know, all of those are pre canes that they push in front of them to find obstacles and to learn how to get around things. Uh, And all of those are very good skills for a preschooler to learn. I don't remember
0: using uh, any pre canes myself. Maybe back when I was going through, they, you know, they weren't as
1: common, but. (laughs) Maybe not, yeah. Um, So I just think once they get up and moving, Uh, if their vision is severe enough that it's pretty obvious that they're going to need some uh, orientation devices then uh, then I think you need to get something in their hand to teach them because sometimes I get kids when they're a little older and when they're real little when I put that cane in their hand or that pre cane it seems like they just oh that's what this is for but if we wait, then it takes a little bit for them to grasp that, oh, this, you know, that caught that drop-off before my feet found it. Um, so, yep, so that's I, the point. <laughs> in my experience, yes. In my experience, the younger we get those canes or those pre-canes in their hands, the more it embeds that, uh, that safety. Yeah. Into... <laughs> and the
0: more they can... Uh... You know, get used to it and, you know, absorb the the purpose that it's used for. Now, um, yes. it's no secret. So, we sort of touched on this earlier that mobility instructors uh, typically cover a, a large territory oh. like VI teachers do, yeah. as yes. um, they are constantly in high demand. So, I know as a VI teacher, uh, I like think you said you covered nine districts. So, give us an idea yeah. of the general territory that you've covered. Throughout your uh, O&M travels.
1: Oh my goodness. Well, this coming school year, I will be covering, I think I'm up to eight school districts. and Eight districts. Eight, eight districts and I'm going as far west as Paducah mm-hmm. and McCracken County. Um, and as far east, I think my further is uh, the Caverna School District. And it's down uh, Cave City. Oh, yeah, that's a little beyond glass. Yes, yes. So that's going to be my furthest point this year. Uh, I'll be going there every couple of weeks. So that will be, uh, uh, that's about as far as I will travel. But I, you know, I I told her, I said, can't you find anybody closer? And that goes back to, you know, there just aren't many of us around. Um,
0: Right. But, you know, I was going to say
1: you know she wanted me to come every week and I'm like no I can't I can't do every week uh not ideal for
0: me yeah
1: no especially and there is a, a teacher the visually impaired in the district and so what I typically do is I work out a schedule so that when I come and work with that student the teacher the visually impaired is with us and she sees what we're doing and what we're working on and so I will say uh you know this for this next two weeks before I come back, you know, we're going to work on detecting a drop off and stopping, you know, and getting our posture and our toes, you know, so you follow up and you practice this with her when you see her. Just you that way
0: it. the VI teachers, can, the VI teacher yeah. can work on those skills while you're not there with the student. Right.
1: And that way, and then when I come back next time, you know, I check what the skill we worked on and then like, okay, now we're going to add stepping off. And I'm talking about like for a young student you know, we're going to step off of the curb, you know, you you find it, you step up to it, you clear where you're stepping down to, because you don't know what's down there, uh, and then you step down to prepare, you know, to cross the street or whatever, um, so when I work with a teacher, the visually impaired, that helps tremendously, and I work with some fantastic uh, teachers that follow through, uh, and, you know, they'll call me sometimes, like, okay, this is what she's doing, uh, or he's doing, you know, what do I do about that and a lot of times I'll just hang on and you know I'll be there next week so we'll take a look at it so.
0: Well as we uh, just mentioned not too long ago you worked with me in grad school at Western and you've worked with a handful of other visually impaired students and becoming acclimated to college campuses so um, for those who don't know based on their own experience or those of their friends or family members describe some of the most notable challenges that VI students must be prepared to conquer when navigating their college grounds.
1: I think, in my experience, the biggest challenge is somebody's not right there with them to help them along, to hold their hand, sure. to get them from point A to point B in a K through twelve school setting if you get lost in the school building who cares you know stand there a minute somebody's gonna come along and say what are you doing here sam you know <laughs> aren't you, supposed to be, you know well this is the wrong level or this is or man, they'll point you in the direction you need to go on a college campus you don't have that uh and i think it's in a way kind of the same because i remember my first experiences in college and the biggest transition was nobody was telling me what to do nobody was holding my hand nobody was you know it was up to me
0: yeah there's no
1: rules there's no I mean that's yeah there's no rules I think that's the biggest transition is you don't have that safety net in college that you have in K through 12 and so I think as educators it's up to us especially in those high school years to start taking away that safety net early Quit walking them from English class to math class. Yeah. You know, as a lot of students and I, instructional aides, I couldn't do my job without them. But, you know, a big part of their job is stepping back and letting that student blossom on their own.
0: You yeah. Know, don't get up
1: and make, don't get all their stuff together for them and, you know, carry it for them and walk them to the next class hand their stuff to them and say, okay, I'll see you in math class. I've got some, I've got an errand run or got something else to do. Stepping back. And if they get lost, that that's a learning, you know, oh, yeah. in math class, I ended up in the chemistry lab. Oh, which direction do I go from here? You know, yeah, exactly. if they don't practice those skills in high school, they're not going to have them when they get to college.
0: No. Um, and in college, you need them a lot more so. So yeah, you can't be afraid to make, you can't be afraid to let them, Make a few wrong turns.
1: <laughs> no, you can't. And unfortunately, we have uh, the school administration. Of course, they don't want anybody to get hurt, and they're looking at it from a different perspective. You know, say, so like, "Well, I think you're supposed to be with your student." You know, so they're oh, getting. Oh yeah,
0: that's I can see that.
1: Into that, you know, they're getting mixed messages. They're, I'm telling them to leave the student alone and step back. And the minister, well, what are you doing? If you're not, you know, that you're getting paid to work with Sam. You know, what are you doing over here? So, um, you know, so that I've had to deal with that sometimes and saying, okay, this is her job to let him be independent going through the cafeteria line, because when you get to college, nobody's going to carry his tray for him, Right. you know, he'll either eat or starve in college and nobody's going to, you know, not that nobody cares, nobody's, everybody's busy and, you know, they don't understand that you might need help.
0: Yeah. They um, got their own agenda. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly. And so, um, you know, as educators of those students that are college bound um, or any training past high school bound, uh, and unfortunately, I think a lot of students choose not to pursue uh, further education or further careers because of that fear that I can't do it, know, um, yeah. I don't have the skills to do it. So uh, orientation and mobility is a big part of that, not the only part. Um, right, you know, a reading, big part. writing and arithmetic is a big part of it too sure. but there is just, you know from experience um you have to work twice as hard to do the same amount of work
0: in many cases yes
1: <laughs> yes and um and technology has helped that tremendously oh but i it
0: agree definitely fix
1: it. doesn't fix it uh, and people don't get that um and so a big part of my job is education you know, uh, we we'll use no stick for you know. Well, I'll stop and explain it to you why we're using that stick.
0: Exactly. You know? Yeah, <laughs> educating the public is is part no of it.
1: It's not a stick. A stick is what you pick up out of the yard under the tree.
0: Yeah, a little difference.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I think as educators we tend to just focus on getting them through you know high school and then graduate and we're done. You know. Uh, yeah. But we should um, be working. For those goals, all the way along, uh, and that is independence.
0: On a somewhat related note, uh, another fascinating component of mobility, and we briefly touched on this too, but it's instructing clients on uh, independent shopping without a friend or family member accompanying them through the store. And a lot of it's auditory skills, as we said, but give us a little bit of a description on uh, how you teach your students to complete their own shopping upon arrival at their favorite stores
1: oh my goodness we do um we go into stores a lot and do some shopping uh sometimes we'll do like the big stores like walmart uh and i will okay i need you know i'll give them three items that are in three different parts of the store a lot of times it's just things i need uh, so that we're actually You know, it doesn't much help to just get the items and go put them back on the shelf. So it's things we're actually going to buy and walk out with. And sometimes they have their own money to buy a treat or something, you know. Uh, And I'll say, okay, you know, we walked into the front of the store. You can hear the doors, you know, people coming and going and the cash registers. And yes, a lot of it is those auditory skills and smell. Also, you can tell when you're close to the bakery. You can tell you when you're close to the fried chicken. You can oh, tell yeah. when you're in the laundry aisle uh, because of the smell. Now, I have worked with clients that don't have that sense of smell. And it, am- it really amazed me. This just happened the last few years, how much I relied on that in my teaching. Um, oh, I believe it. I worked with a young lady that no longer had a sense of smell. Um, and, I mean, she had none whatsoever because of surgery, brain surgery. Um, It made it, you know, because I couldn't tell her, you know, I'll take a big smith and tell me if we're in the laundry aisle or by the fried chicken. You know, we couldn't do that. So uh, I had to rethink how to do it. And she had some residual vision. uh, So it wasn't as deep, but I had to really, you know, how am I going to do this if I can't rely on those other senses? Uh, But there are ways of, uh, you know, getting through. And, you know, almost every Walmart is set up uh, about the same,
0: right? And so,
1: learn your Walmart. Now, some of them are flipped. You know, the deli's on the left instead of the right. Uh, but most of them are set up. You know, electronics are in the back. Uh, so if you learn the layout of one store, because you know, in Walmart, they're constantly, by the time you figure out where something is, they've moved it an hour or two over, which is another pet peeve. Uh, there are changes,
0: line. yes, indeed.
1: Oh, yes, just, and for no good reason, you know, other than they just want you to wander the store.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> but a
1: lot of times you can get assistance. There are apps for your phone now that will read labels to you. Um, oh, you this is true.
0: Rick Bogus has told me about some of those.
1: Yes, uh, there's uh, Be My Eyes, which you can call and actually talk to a person who answers the phone. Uh, you know, if you, is this a can of green beans or is this a can of peas that I've got in my hand? Uh, I've had people call and uh, answer the phone and uh, she couldn't remember how many times a day the doctor told her to take this pill. And so I read her prescription label for her. So there are all kinds of apps that will help. Uh, shopping for clothing. Uh, you know, you can shop by field. Uh, And again, with technology, there are apps on your phone that will read to you, Uh, but it's difficult. Most people will have a companion with them uh, to help with color and labels and size and things like that. Yeah, a lot of times you will. Yes. Uh, But I want my students to know how to get around, not to panic if they think they're lost. I mean, you're still in the same building. You're not lost.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) there's Uh, people around you
1: you you know the anxiety you know there are people around you uh, you're in the potato chip aisle you're not lost Um,
0: yeah
1: you know so uh, working through those anxieties and teaching students just stop and think a minute yeah you know
0: uh, or just uh, or just find that service desk and explain to them that you need some help (laughs) yes
1: Uh, and most stores especially your larger stores And I will tell students, you know, if you're going grocery shopping and you know you're going to need assistance, call the store head.
0: Right. You know,
1: before you get there and say, you know, my name is uh, Sam and I'm going to be grocery shopping. I will need assistance when I arrive. Uh, When is a good time for me to get there? You know, that you're not real busy, uh, that I could have an employee, you know, work with me. Of course, nowadays with online shopping, and that's one thing COVID has helped because almost all stores now. Uh, do That's the grocery pick up, <laughs> and that is such a help uh, for my older clients that can't get out. No doubt. On, you know, well, my neighbor takes me, but she only goes on Monday afternoons at two o'clock. Well, then you can shop. You got all weekend to get your grocery order together and turn it in. Um, you know, and then you just go and pick up what they've gathered together for you and pay for it uh, using debit cards. Um, you know, I encourage my students and clients. You know, use a debit card, but you have to know what's on that debit card. You do have to be very uh, conscious of how much you're spending and keeping up with that, because most of us have just X amount of dollars. And if you have fifty dollars in your account, you can't spend fifty-five.
0: No, uh, you don't want to be overdrawn.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that uh, that gets expensive real quick. Uh, and teaching students about things like that, because a lot of kids they don't have a clue you know, uh, they've lived with mom and dad, and they just think it grows on trees. And, um, you know, they can just spend whatever. That's another transition, you know, to college and stuff. Nobody's telling you, you know, that if you've only had $50, you can't spend $55. And uh, you can get in trouble real quick that way. And so learning those skills and keeping up with your money and being responsible for that. And I think it's important that the individual, if capable, needs to do that for themselves, not rely on someone else. Uh, and I'm not saying you know it's okay to have help, but it's not okay to hand your life over to someone else.
0: Uh, no, exactly. Yeah, you got to take you got to take some responsibility for yourself.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, I, you know that happens a lot. So.
0: Yeah, more than it should. I know. Yeah. Now, um, even though your Facebook. Page says that you're retired. Well, sort of. I know you're going to be uh, going from Paducah to Caverna here this uh, this year. So I guess is that going to keep you busy like five days a week? You think?
1: No, I typically work. Um, well, it depends. I don't. It's kind of difficult to have a, stru- a structure, the same schedule every week. Yeah, that structure. Uh, now, like I go to Webster County once a week, and that's typically the same day of the week. Um, And uh, like, I have to work around because I work with the teachers of the visually impaired and some of them cover multiple districts. So I also go like to Crittenden County, well, their teacher of the visually impaired is only there on Mondays. And so that that little girl I see on Mondays, uh, not every Monday, I see her once a month. Um, Several of my students I see once or twice a month and then uh, the teacher of the visually impaired, or the um, para instructor will follow through with what I teach. And then I come back and I you know, add to that, or we review and you know, change what we're doing a little bit. So when I say I'm covering eight or nine school districts, that's not every week.
0: Right, I know you're only going to Caverna every other week, so that, that helps. I Absolutely. Work with the,
1: uh, oh yeah, I still call it the Office for the Blind. It's Blind Services now. Um, under the umbrella of voc rehab. Uh, I also work with them and that's where I work with adults. There so, you go. And they
0: contract out with you and stuff.
1: They contract out with me and that I work, uh, like I will get a referral for a client and I will work with them. A lot of times those are the older people, um, many times that just want to go to their mailbox or just want to travel safely inside their house or sometimes, you know, going up and down stairs in their home, things like that. And I typically work with them uh, four to five sessions. And then we release them, you know, we've taught them what they need to know to regain their independence and we move on, you know. So that's not a long drawn out. Uh, Like with you, when you were on Western, that was through blind services. And I came and worked with you uh, several times, you know, learning those new routes and getting around the construction. There's always construction on college campuses. Oh, tell me about it. Somehow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know. so uh, that's not a long drawn out thing.
0: We talked about guide dogs briefly a little bit ago, and some people just assume that all visually impaired people, uh, or most of them, have one. And a lot of them, when they don't, uh, you know, they'll they'll come up to a, a VI person. They'll be like, "Why don't you have a guide dog?" And well, there's there's pros and cons, and some yes. people. Some people like them and some people don't. So if somebody's trying to decide whether or not they should get one and whether or not it's right for them, uh what what, what in your experience are the the pros and cons of of the guide dog route?
1: Well, um they are a big responsibility. Oh uh, yeah. It's the biggest one. Uh because part of the application process is they make sure. That you're the one um, walking the dog, you're the one working the dog, you're the one taking the dog out um, to park at potty breaks. Um, it's your dog. You can't come home and hand it over to somebody else and say, Well, mom, you walk in, I'm tired, you walk the dog. It doesn't work that way. Um, in an emergency, if you're sick or something, yes, of course. But uh, no, the dog is your responsibility. All of the vet visits, uh, grooming, uh, girl, dogs have to be bathed. They have to be brushed. Uh, you know, dental care has to be taken care of. All of those things are a factor in, am I responsible enough? Uh, am I mature enough to handle this other personality? Um, the dogs are very highly trained, but they're not magic. No. They don't do all those things for themselves. Uh, and they're not magic in that you can't just put the harness on them and take hold of the harness and say, okay, you know, take me to Walmart. You know, they don't know what Walmart is. That that doesn't work that way either. So there are a lot of myths around dog guides. I was just talking to a lady yesterday about this.
0: Oh, Um, perfect (laughs) timing.
1: Yes. um, You have to have good orientation, mobility skills before they, you will be considered for a dog guide. Uh, mm-hmm. just because you apply doesn't mean you're going to get one. Uh, we're talking about dogs that are worth 50 to 70 thousand dollars, uh, is what is obviously in individual dogs. So they're not just going to hand uh Katrina a dog and say, Well, here you go, y'all have fun. Uh, they will, <laughs> good <make luck. laughs> sure. yeah, good luck, take him home. You know, y'all have you. Know, uh, they will make sure that you have the training, you have the uh, um maturity level, the physical ability to care for that dog and to keep the training up. Uh, Now they offer lots of support and lots of training. They do an excellent job.
0: Right. Uh,
1: You can be turned down. Uh, They will say you're just not ready for a dog guide. You're not physically able to have a dog guide. Uh, You're not old enough to have a dog guide because I'll have you know, third and fourth grade students, I want a dog, you know, well, you're not going to get a dog, uh, because the <laughs> not minimal, uh, usually as 18 or 19, minimal, they have made exceptions, some schools have, uh, but those are very rare for someone like 16 years old, might get a dog guide, but those are uh, rare instances, and uh, that doesn't happen very often at all, that, no. uh, but the difference between walking with the cane and walking with a dog, it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges. I've done both. Uh, and I will tell you, if something were to happen to my vision, I'd be calling to get in line for a dog guide tomorrow. Would you? But that's me. You know, uh, yeah. other people, they, they wouldn't consider it. That's not, uh, they prefer the feedback they get with the cane and the information they get with the cane. They're not gonna trust that animal. Uh, to lead them around. And that's an individual choice. I forget the statistics, but as far as the blind population, very few go through the training and get a dog guide. But I know many of them that do, they go back for the second dog guide, when that one retires. And for the third dog guide, I mean, that's the way they want to travel. Uh, And again, that's individual choice.
0: Right, so, choice and preference, so it's uh, not an absolute must. But another thing, you got to devote the time uh, and the, you know yeah. go the distance to that training because most of those training programs are uh, a few months or so, aren't they?
1: Uh, six weeks is a minimum that I know of. Um, six weeks, minimum. and I don't really keep up with them that much because, like my adults that are interested, I give them the information, and you know, here's the phone number. You know, call them and talk to them. And tell them your situation and what you're interested in. Now, as an O and M instructor, um, I have to fill out an part of the application and tell them how much orientation and mobility training this person has. Uh, You know, can they cross the street safely? Some dog guide schools want video of the person traveling Uh, to prove that they can do it. Yeah. If they can do, and now some dog guide schools, uh, Leader Dog does, I don't know about the other, up in Rochester, Michigan. They offer an orientation and mobility training week, free of charge, where a person can go up there and just get a very intensive week of orientation and mobility training. Um, oh,
0: before you and, even start your yeah, dog training.
1: Before, you, yes. Now, if you've already had the orientation and mobility training training, uh, you don't do that. And they just do, uh, if you're not even in, interested in a dog, you can go up for the orientation mobility training.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. uh, leader dogs in, in Michigan. And I think um, there's one in New Jersey. There's another training center there, correct?
1: In um, Morristown, New Jersey. That is the original Seeing Eye uh, that Frank Morris started uh, in Nashville, actually, is where it started. But the weather was a little hot uh, because at that time, all they trained were German shepherds. And, you know, they have a heavy coat and uh, they're kind of cold weather dogs. And so they That's moved right. up north after a few years uh, to Morristown, New Jersey. That's the seeing eye. Uh They're a little more formal. Um, you have to dress for dinner. And I don't mean like a tuxedo dress, but business casual, uh, t-shirt, blue jeans, you know, are not, you know um they're kind of frowned upon but they are uh they are very good uh at what they do uh yeah. leader dogs for the blind is also they're a little more uh informal a little more laid back they work not only with the blind they work with deaf blind they have a program there uh they do the orientation mobility training they work with people in wheelchairs that need mobility training um so uh, they have branched out a little more, I think, um, changed their focus to those who deal with other disabilities as well. So um, and, and to me, it's fascinating, the amount of training that these dogs go through. Uh, and I think it's interesting, a lot of these dogs that, I don't want to say flunk out, what do they call it? Career change dogs that don't quite make the cut to right. be dog dogs. Um because to being a seeing eye dog or a dog guide is the highest level of training. Uh, but that is where your cadaver dogs and your police dogs, um, your drug dogs, your seizure dogs, that's where most of those come from, are dogs that didn't quite make the cut. Uh, the way I understand it, it's what I've been told. Um, so you're talking about dogs with very high level of training. So they don't just pass them out willy-nilly. Uh, no
0: not all god no. not all dogs are god dog material
1: <laughs> no they are not you know um uh, you know you can't have a, a dog that just oh squirrel you know <laughs> and they off. Oh, you can't have that no. uh, so and some dogs just they can't get that out of uh they can't overcome that so uh, no but they're kind of like people they all have their own little personality.
0: Exactly. Same. Yeah, but every dog's different. Just like, just like all of us are different. Now, um, for those in our audience who uh, may be in search of uh, an O and M trainer or know someone who is, uh, tell them Katrina how they can possibly get acquainted with you or another skilled specialist and uh, obtain this instruction.
1: Well. Uh course, you're always welcome to contact me uh, personally. I'm on Facebook, and it's Katrina with a K. Uh,
0: That's right. I get to see in the K mixed up, but it is
1: <laughs> Katrina
0: <laughs> with a K, Barry. <laughs> Katrina
1: Barry, um, and I'm you know can be found on Facebook. You can contact your local um, services for the blind through uh, vocational rehab, and they have different offices. There's one in Paducah, one in Bowling Green, one in Owensboro. Um, and they have, or I don't think I'm the only orientation mobility person that they contract with, uh, but I am one of them. And they will uh, work with you. And if you feel you need orientation mobility training, uh, you can tell them, and they will. Um, you know, that's part of their evaluation when they meet with you. know um, they'll yeah,
0: determine I, what you I, need. You know, yes,
1: they they will determine when they come and they do it like a life daily living skills. Evaluation and, uh, you know, if you're still working, they help you with accommodations there. They just do all kinds of wonderful things for our citizens with uh, visual impairment. And they don't always, uh, I know they work with a lot of people, then they never contact me. uh, Because, you know, orientation mobility isn't needed or it sometimes um, isn't wanted. I, I know people that are visually impaired that, you know, they feel like they're doing just fine without it. So, Sure. Oh,
0: yeah. they, <laughs> they think they're
1: if you're an adult, that's your call. You know.
0: Yeah, it's your prerogative and <laughs> and your choice. So don't hesitate to reach out to Katrina or um line services and they'll get you the uh, the help and the evaluations that you need. Well uh, mm-hmm. Katrina, this has been fun. You are an endlessly flowing font of knowledge. I don't care what they say about you. Oh
1: <laughs> well they probably say a lot if they think of me at all. So, well, I, it has been interesting. Like I said, I can mark the podcast off my bucket list now.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, that's the, that's one addition <laughs> that you can make. Now, um, before yeah. we let you go, one last thing I want to know what would be your best advice yeah. for those entertaining the thoughts of pursuing a career in orientation and mobility?
1: Oh, my goodness. Best advice is to have a a feel for um, not so much sympathy, but empathy for what other people deal with sure. in day to day. Most of us take for granted, um, I want to go to the dollar store, jump up, grab the car keys, get in the car and go to the dollar store. Um, if you have an empathy, sympathy doesn't do a lot. Oh, I feel so sorry. Um, so, you know, that doesn't, um, and that doesn't help anything. No. You know, I can feel sorry all day long and it doesn't move your case forward at all. Uh, but empathy moves me to get up and do something that will, and I'm not talking about doing something for someone. I'm talking about giving them the skills to do something for themselves.
0: Yeah, uh, and just- If
1: you have that kind of heart then orientation mobility might be for you uh, because it is um, it is empowering. It is it gives me a sense of accomplishment. You know, if I haven't done anything else in my life, I helped that one person have the skills to do this for themselves.
0: Absolutely,
1: all about independence. Whether it's you know a three year old that's just starting to walk across the floor without being terrified of running into something or that 86 year old woman that just wants to walk out to her mailbox for herself and most of us don't think of how you know what do you mean you just check the mail you know well that's a big thing to some people uh, that independence that regaining or gaining uh, that I can do it for myself Uh, and unfortunately for some that that being visually impaired makes people want to do things for you. You know, well, here, here it is. You know, uh, that doesn't help. No, we've got to give them the skills, the tools um, to do it for themselves and to reach out and be independent.
0: Indeed, and so if you can relate to people without sympathizing with them, but just sort of relate to them and and, and give them the encouragement to to believe in themselves, I know that's a lot of it too.
1: Well, I and mean, some of my clients break my heart.
0: Oh, I can imagine. The
1: situations that they live in or the family that they have to deal with. You know, I hate to put it that way, but that's what it boils down to sometimes. Uh, sometimes family is the biggest crippling um, part of their lives. It's not their vision loss. It's um, that people want to carry them around on a pillow around them. Uh, right. You know, that, that enabling... Um, you know, but I can't or rarely ever let them, especially my younger students, see that their situation breaks my heart. Um, yeah, you've got to kind of. That doesn't help them. Either. That doesn't give them any skills or any tools. Uh, I've worked with students who've had cancer. I've had students die, um, you know, see, passing and That away is
0: heartbreaking. It,
1: it is. Uh, and like I said, sometimes it's just the environment that they have to deal with. Right. Uh, the ignorance around them, and I don't mean ignorance in a bad way. I mean, uh, i am ignorant in a lot of fields, a lot of things, but I choose, you know, if I learn, I don't know that, then I want to learn about it. But you have a lot of people that um, they're not interested in learning and growing in that area. And uh, it's heartbreaking when it's their child uh, oh, wow. that has that vision and they're not interested in learning about it or, uh, you know, educating themselves so that they can help their child.
0: But if you shed any tears, you can't do so in front of them, can you?
1: No, no, you can't do so. And then I have students and adults that are just a joy to work with, like you were, Sam.
0: Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. You're, you're redeeming yourself now.
1: <laughs> I am. Uh, but in every situation, you know, you have your sad cases and then you have the ones that keep you going. Uh, that you laugh a lot. I mean, I like to laugh and cut up and kid, and that's part of the O and M. You know, I get to get out and you know go places with my students. We go to uh, restaurants and uh, go into stores, and uh, you meet a lot of different people. You get to educate people. We've had people stop us on the street corner and what are y'all doing? I had a cop pull over one time a because cop, huh? he didn't know what I was doing with this poor man. It was raining. Not rainy, it was just starting to sprinkle, And I asked him, I said, do you want to quit? And he said, oh, I won't melt, will you? I'm like, well, no, you know, we'll keep going. So this cop pulls over thinking we're in distress. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, no, sir, we're okay. You know, you know and I, I always make sure I have some type of identification with me uh, as to what, you know, what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, my business card or, you know, and uh, he was okay, but I noticed he never quite left the area until we got in my car and left. He was like keeping an eye on it which I thought was sweet, you know, so.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) At least he had a tender heart.
1: Not a boring job.
0: You know, this this may be your first of many podcasts, so this is good training
1: for you. (laughs) Yes, 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 I'll be famous after this. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) We sure appreciate it. And we'll do this
0: again one of these days, sooner than later.
1: Okay, you just give me a
0: call. It's good to hear from you, Sam. Boy, I sure enjoyed talking to you too, Katrina, even though Zoom was a little contrary on us there towards the end. It was still great catching up with an old teacher, well, a former teacher. She's not old, she knows she's not old, but a former instructor of mine, an exceptional educator as we like to call him here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass, and by the way, If you'd like to nominate an exceptional educator for future recognition here on the program, you know darn well how to do it. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com is my address. Drop me a line. Let me know about that special someone who has made a profound impact on you, and I will do my very best to make sure that he or she gets the attention and honor that he or she so rightfully deserves. And I tell you, the work that... Katrina does on a regular basis certainly shouldn't go unnoticed. It has meant so much to so many people and it has given them the independence and active lifestyle that they otherwise likely wouldn't be able to enjoy. So, kudos to Mrs. Berry and again, don't hesitate to reach out to her with any information that you may need, questions you may have about the field of orientation and mobility, how you can receive such services. It's uh, Katrina Berry on Facebook. That's K-A-T-R-I-N-A-B-E-R-R-Y. That's how the first and last names are spelled. Katrina Berry. Hit her up on Facebook, send her a message, and she'll be glad to either help you out or steer you to somebody who can. How's that? Fair enough? So Katrina, you rock. Thanks so much for being a part of the show today. And before we put this puppy to bed, yep, you called it. It's bluegrass brainbuster time. I had the answer for you. The long-awaited answer, and uh, of course it's no secret that Louisville is our state's largest city pretty easily. I wanted to know though, what is the smallest community in the commonwealth of Kentucky? The smallest community, and your answer? It's known as Bandana. B-A-N-D-A-N-A. Bandana, Kentucky, which is located in Ballard County, far west Kentucky. It is 11 miles north of Wycliffe. Population is 203. 203, it is the state's smallest community. They do have a mud park where uh, people from in and out of town gather to uh, roam around in all-terrain vehicles in the mud. And I know that's a... big old barrel of fun for them. Sounds just perfect for a town its size. Bandana, Kentucky in Ballard County. That is the smallest community in the Commonwealth. I plan on having another one of those for you next week. Bluegrass Brainbusters. that is. So make sure you're here for it. In the meantime, email me. Hit me up on the Blabbin' in the Bluegrass Facebook page, where you can also Relive or hear other episodes from the past for the first time that you might have missed. Stay up to date with info, make comments, leave messages, and don't forget, we are also readily available via Apple, Google Podcasts, and or Spotify. You can listen and subscribe to Blabbing in the Bluegrass free of charge via each of these podcast directories. So, until next week, you know what you gotta do. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep... With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.